Wednesday, February 13th, 2013, episode number 37 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Dreamer, published every Wednesday here on footballnation.com and in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast in the iTunes store if you've yet to do so. We are in the month of February, otherwise known as the doldrums of the sporting calendar. But fear not, Football Nation Today faithful, we will continue to come at you with a new show each and every Wednesday. This week is no different. Have a lot of things lined up to discuss, starting off. In our first done segment, where I speak with Todd DeFries, you know him from right here on footballnation.com. You also know him from collegefootballgeek.com. He hosts a uh, NFL show on SiriusXM Satellite Radio and a show twice per week on patriots.com throughout the football season. So suffice to say, Todd DeFries is a ubiquitous presence around these parts, and we're very pleased to welcome him to the show this week, in which Todd and I will talk about uh, the Ravens post Super Bowl. How? It, what is their roster going to look like next season with all of the pending free agents they have? Is it going to be Joe Flacco's team? And if so, is that a good thing for the defending Super Bowl champs? We'll talk about that. And then also branch off to a bigger picture discussion, which we talk about a lot on this show, and that is the direction of the league. What is the winning formula in the NFL? It's obvious. In the regular season, the league is in more of an offense pass, finesse-oriented direction. In the postseason, though, the referees swallow their whistles, let the defenses play a little bit more, and it seems as if, year in and year out, the more physical, tough, defensive-minded teams have more success in January than the finesse, offensive-minded teams. Patriots know that all too well the past several years. So what's the overall direction of the league? Todd and I talked about that as well, and then also picked up the conversation I had last week about PEDs in sports and PEDs in football, and whether it's now, and whether it's still irresponsible to openly speculate about PED use, even though it is so widely prevalent and ingrained in the sporting culture of today. So again, very pleased to welcome Todd DeFries to the program. He joined me for my first down segment. Second down segment, we talk about the biggest off-field NFL stories of the week, a couple of new rule changes. The league is looking to institute to help with player safety, but are these too much for defenses to handle? We'll talk about that, and then the Super Bowl blackout, more details released about this this, this, this over the past week. And I think it's just another example that we're a first-world country with a third-world infrastructure. Third-down segment, it's the big-up-slowdown segment debating issues such as Mike Vick restructuring his contract for the Eagles. Is that a wise move for them? Percy Harvin, how tradable is he? And Tony Romo, does he deserve a long-term contract extension? Then the fourth down segment, it's the Reamer rant. The NFL Combine is this month, kicking off next Wednesday. <laughs> Some people will be watching. I will not be among them. I'll tell you why in the fourth down segment. It's episode number 37, Football Nation Today. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back with Todd DeFries. You know him, you love him, and you'll hear him next. Welcome back, Football Nation Today. It is time for our first down segment, and to welcome and to uh, help us with that this week, we bring on a man who's very well known around these parts, Todd DeFreeze, the writing uh, the writing director here at FootballNation.com. You also know him from CollegeFootballGeek.com, SiriusXM, and Patriots.com. He hosts a show there twice a week throughout the football season. Todd, you're a busy man. We thank you for taking the time. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Alex. Just, uh, you know, entering football hibernation mode, so to speak. No doubt about it. The talk never stops, Todd, because free agency, of course, doesn't officially begin until sometime in the middle of March, but the speculation is running rampant here in the middle of February. Of course, at the top of everybody's minds, the defending Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens have a lot of decisions to make this offseason, a lot of key free agents, Ed Reed, Anquan Bolden among them, obviously Joe Flacco. It seems as if keeping Flacco is a main priority for them, as it should be, given what he did this past season. Um, do you think that will, though, come at the expense at some other guys, especially on the defensive end leaving? And if so, will this make the Ravens Flacco's team? And is that a good thing for Baltimore? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Ravens would be crazy to give up Flacco at this point. Obviously, uh, a much maligned Joe Flacco, by the way, up until this year. And myself, yes. as one of the doubters, I was one of his biggest doubters. But if you really look at his playoff history, I mean, he really has a pretty impressive resume. And even if you go back last year when they lost in Foxborough in the AFC Championship game, you really can't pin the blame on him. Right? Lee Evans drops the ball. They missed the kick at the end. He could have very well been in the Super Bowl two years in a row. So, uh, yeah, they're going to do what they need to do to get Joe Flacco signed and sealed and delivered. Now, what will that mean for the, the other key free agents remains to be seen. It would be hard for me to see them get rid of an Ed Reed, who, with Ray Lewis retiring, is pretty much the face of this franchise from the defensive standpoint. Uh, Anquan Bolden, that's a trickier situation. Not sure what his demands are right now. He's even talked about We've talked about retiring right, if, yes. if the Ravens don't resign him. I'm not really sure what they should, what they uh, will do with Bolden, but man, that guy is a playmaker. He uh, he he took over the Super Bowl at one point in that game when they really needed him to step it up. So I wouldn't be surprised if all three return, um, but uh, it remains to be seen. I love Bolden a lot, Todd, and I agree with you. I think Ed Reed with Flacco is one of the top priorities there. Bolden may be the odd man out due to cap ramifications, but. My thing with Flacco is I think he's a guy who relies on the people around him to make him better. I think he throws a lot of jump balls. He relies on his receivers to make plays for him. I think if you take Bolden away from Flacco, you don't replace him. Uh, I think that really hurts Joe Flacco. So I think the Ravens, uh, you know, totally. I, don't think, I don't think he's at a Tom Brady level, not close where he makes the guys around him better. So I think the Ravens have to be careful with that a little bit. I think you have to surround Joe Flacco with playmakers to make him as dangerous as he can be. Well, and, and there is no better playmaker. Put it this way. Who is better at catching the ball than Bolden when you're when he's completely covered? No one. <laughs> right? When, I mean, when he is blanketed, he finds a way to outreach whatever it needs to be done. He has those ridiculously strong hands to come down with the football. You're right. He can make an inaccurate pass look awfully accurate, which is a trait that not many wide receivers have. So I agree with you. I mean, Bolden is he he's a guy they really need to figure out a way to keep. I think they'll get it done. I just have a weird feeling they're going to be able to keep these guys. Um, you know, a lot of times these players are in good spirits after winning a Super Bowl, and they, they might take that to the negotiation table. We'll see. As a Patriots guy, Todd, as unrealistic as it may be, especially since Bolden's talked about retirement, if he doesn't remain a Raven, I would love to see the Patriots try to make a real effort to get him because as we saw once again in the AFC title game, this more finesse Patriots offense went up against a more physical, tough team, physical, tough defense, and faltered. It's been that way every year since 2007. There's no doubt, Todd, the league is totally in a more finesse offensive direction in the regular season. Become the postseason, year in, year, in, year, in, year out, we see it. These more physical type of teams tend to have more success. Um, are we going to get to a point where you think the offensive finesse game, we see that is so prevalent in the regular season, makes it through January? Or do you think this is now a trend where, come January, the referees let the players play a little bit, 
let the defenses play a little bit, and it still is more about those physical defensive style teams. It's interesting, you know, Alex. If you if you watch the NBA over the years, it's two different seasons, right? I mean, completely Absolutely. different. You hockey watch the regular too. season, hockey as well, exactly. And the playoffs come around, and it's just everything's different. The way the games are officiated, it's completely different. And if you really watch that Super Bowl, it makes you wonder. I mean, there were a lot of very questionable calls in that Super Bowl. I'm not saying it really played a factor in one team winning or the other. I think both teams had plenty of chances to win the game. But come on. I mean, there were some fouls there, just some egregious fouls that they just turned a blind eye on. And uh, it makes you wonder. So to get to your point, I think it is, it is a little bit of a trend. You know, the finesse teams find a way to get to the playoffs. But once you get in the playoffs, you better be able to be multidimensional. Right. And you better be able to bring the lumber a little bit on defense. I do still think this is a passing league. I, I'm not going to stray from that quite yet. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely you, – you need to win multiple ways uh, once you get into the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. You see it. Saints and Packers, when they won, were obviously offensive first teams. But in the postseason, the Saints and Packers defense both stepped up, made plays, remember to generate pressure on the quarterbacks. And speaking of the quarterbacks, Todd, still in the direction of the league topic, I think it's pretty definitive. Every QB who's played in the Super Bowl since 2007, except this year, you could say, is probably going to the Hall of Fame. This year, obviously, seems like we bucked that trend a little bit with Colin Kaepernick, Joe Flacco. Obviously, we'll see on Kaepernick. Um, so what do you think that says? Do you think this is just a blip on the radar screen, or does it fly in the face of what me and a lot of people have been saying? That is, you know, you need a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback to win in today's NFL. It's interesting. You know, I, I still think that, again, I think that you need to have the quarterback. Even with Flacco, I mean, again, we, we kind of talked about him being much blind over he the year. He played like an elite quarterback when it mattered yeah. most. He may not be an elite guy, but he played like one in January. That's a good point. And that's the same thing. You could say the same thing about Eli Manning, right? Yes, exactly. He has his terrible regular seasons, and then he just he had two amazing runs where he looked like Joe Montana. And Joe Flacco, same thing. I mean, an 11-0 touchdown interception ratio. Unbelievable. You know? Right. And, yeah, some of the, and, yes, some of the passes were jump balls. And some of the passes were made by the, the plays were made by the wide receivers or by a Denver free safety just completely butchering, <laughs> you know, uh, 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 the, the pass in that key game against Denver with 30 seconds left, 70 yard touchdown pass. I mean, that had no business being completed. And if that doesn't happen, we're not talking about this right now. But all that being said, um, I, you have to have the quarterback. And I, I think you have to have the coach. Look at the Super Bowl winning coaches, Alex, I've over seen. the years. Uh, you know, there aren't any, you know, blips on the radar. You can, right. You'd have to go back. I don't know. You have to go really far back to to find a coach that really it kind of were like, yeah, I can't believe that guy won the Super Bowl. You know, these guys that win these Super Bowls, uh, they're quality coaches. So you got to have the coach. You got to have the QB. And let's let's be honest. You got to be hot. I mean, it, it's it's the old cliche, but you look at the Giants a couple times. Even the Packers, Alex, when they won a couple years ago, they were a wild card team that had to play in Philadelphia in the wild card round, and they got hot. Right, they got past the Eagles or picture the interception in the end zone in the waning seconds where the Eagles easily could have won that game. Packers went on to win that, the one to win the Super Bowl. The Steelers, a couple of years, they weren't the greatest team in the world, but they got hot. So it's a hot. You've got to be hot at the right time, and I don't know what the magical uh, formula is for that, but you got to find it. You're right, Todd. You're on Tiger Todd DeFreeze, FootballNation.com, CollegeFootballGeek.com. Um, that's a great point on the coaches. You're right. There aren't really blips on the radar screens, which leads me to ask you. What did you think about the coaching hires across the league this offseason? It's pretty obvious. I think you need to find the next Bill Belichick, the next Jim Harbaugh, the next John Harbaugh, etc. 
Do you think teams did a decent job of taking risks and trying to find those guys? Uh, I think so. You know, I think that I'm kind of, I'm an anti-retread guy. Me too. Hate so, it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I do like the fact that teams are able to take some risks. Now, now with the Kansas City Chiefs, I think that's a, it's a solid, it's a great hire with Andy Reid. That's, that's a solid hire, even though he could be considered a retread. He, his, he just overstayed his welcome in Philadelphia. He was there a very long time. And I think he just needs a fresh start. I think he can do some good things in the AFC West. And think about it, Alex. In the AFC West, other than Denver, who has a couple years left with Peyton Manning, that division's terrible. Yeah. That's not a bad place to try no, to no, regroup. No. Nope. Do you know what I'm saying? And, no, and if you look back to the NFC East when Andy Reid got there in the late 90s, it was the same thing. Dallas's dominance was over. The NFC East was terrible. He was able to take an Eagles team and dominate the division for a while. He has the potential for that in Kansas City. He's got to find a quarterback and some other things. So I kind of like what Kansas City did. I like the Eagles going outside the box and, you know, rolling the dice at Chip Kelly. I think it's either going to succeed wildly or it's going to be an absolute train wreck. There's not going to be any middle ground with the Chip Kelly hire. But this is a, you know, you mentioned Bill Belichick. This is a guy that lives and breathes football, literally. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have kids. All he does is football. He's a football guy. He's an innovator. I think he's going to be able to adapt his Oregon-style offense to the NFL. It might take him a year or two, but I think he can do some good things in the NFL. So I, I kind of like the way that um, some of those hires went. Uh, some of the other hires were just kind of so-so. I mean, who really wants to go to Buffalo? You know? Right. And uh, Cleveland Browns didn't really wow me with their hire either, but uh, those, those are some of my thoughts on that. No, I agree. And look, yeah, Chip Kelly could fail miserably, but he could also really succeed, and at least he has that chance to really succeed, which you can't say about every hire, which, like you, Todd, is why I love it. Uh, so we're in agreement. Let's see if we disagree on this. Final big point I want to hit on with you. Um, if Robert Griffin III recovers from his ACL injuries and comes back week one, week two next season and runs for 150 yards, throws for 250, a couple of touchdowns, I'm going to come on the show, Todd, and this very website and say, hmm, wonder what happened there. Eight months later, he comes back better than ever, like Adrian Peterson last season. Would I be, um, how do I put it, would I be irresponsible, Todd, as a commentator, to make those accusations now, knowing what you know about PEDs, not just in football, but in sports? Can, are we at a point where we can have the PED conversation, which we all do privately, can we now have that publicly? Is it still irresponsible to do so, or is it fair game? I think, you can, I think it's fair to raise the questions. I mean, I, the, the obvious big story with the Super Bowl is Ray Lewis and how he miraculously came back from his, uh, his injury in such a short amount of time. But nobody was really talking about Adrian Peterson, who was the, by the way, the league MVP, right. <laughs> who got hurt uh, very late last year and came through and had one of the greatest seasons in the history of the running back position uh, with the blown knee, which was ridiculously incredible. I don't know how he did it. Now, people just seem to think that Adrian Peterson is just a freak of nature, and he certainly is. But was he aided by anything else? You know, you, you got to raise the question in this day and age. The, the, the other question I'd like to ask here, Alex, sure. is football fans, do they really care? Because it seems like in baseball, where it's all about records, or was about records until, you know, we had the steroid era, people were so outraged because all the, the hallowed records were just being shattered, and it was just the game had completely changed. With football... I don't think the football fans really care as much about these, these, these players being on steroids or PEDs. I mean, uh, do you, am I wrong there? 
No, you have it right, Todd. Football fans, football media have this one right. My baseball guys have this one totally wrong. I think we are in forever in the steroid era in sports. The science will always be there. will always be a step out of the testing. Football fans have this one right, Todd. I think they do. They just accept it as reality. Yeah, so that's your question. If RG3 does come back from, by the way, it's his second uh, major injury, right. knee injury that he's had. Exactly. Uh, you know, if he comes back and he looks great week one, do you, can you question it? Sure you can. But it's just science is evolving. and They're always going to be one step ahead of it. And, hey, if they're one step ahead of it and what they're doing is legal at the time, great. If it's, yeah. if it's borderline, you know, make up your mind. Do you have a big problem with that or not? You know, do you want to, do you want to see these guys out there on the, on the field? Or do you want to see them do it the old-fashioned way and miss a year and a half? You know, um, it's a great question. And uh, it's something that if you're a sports fan, you have to make up your mind. Is this going to bother you or not? Quite frankly, it doesn't bother me that much, honestly. It really doesn't. It doesn't bother me either, Todd. These guys' bodies are their businesses. They're looking to get the most out of their bodies. And the line, you're right, between what is legal and not legal with the advances in science and medicine is increasingly more blurry. Uh, Todd DeFreeze, footballnation.com, collegefootballgeek.com. Before I let you go, Todd, you mentioned it's kind of the doldrums of the football season, but we do got the combine coming up. You're a big college football guy with your website, collegefootballgeek.com, but you told me off air, you're not a big combine guy. Why, Ty? I thought all your college football guys love this stuff. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the underwear show, Alex. <laughs> you really, they got some good thighs, though, those guys. Huh? you got to admire the thighs on some of those guys. You, you can only watch Rich Eisen run the 40 in slow motion so many times before it doesn't get, you know, it's not funny anymore. Right. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> If you don't get the reference, that's good for you. That means you're not watching the coverage. But, you know, uh, it, it's, it, you know, it's a meat show. It's a meat market. It's a necessary evil. Uh, you know, you do want to get in there and interview these guys. You do want to see how tall they really are and, uh, and all that good stuff. But, come on, uh, put on the game film, and that's where you see whether these guys can play or not. One guy to watch, though, Alex, I will say this. He's kind of a Percy Harvin-like is Tavon Austin, wide receiver, West Virginia projected to be a late first round or second round type guy. Very intriguing prospect. He's a guy, Alex, that could be a luxury pick for one of the top teams in the league, maybe even your Patriots. Mm. Keep an eye on Savon Austin in the combines. He might run a blazing 40 and, reach, and uh, you know grab some headlines there. But he's a guy to keep an eye on if you're looking for a playmaker that can make an instant impact in the return game or in the flat. I like it. And Todd, you're a big college football guy. I am not, so we'll definitely speak to you down the line. Maybe as we get closer to draft time. Again, he's Todd DeFreeze. You know him, footballnation.com, collegefootballgeek.com, also SiriusXM, Satellite Radio, and Patriots.com as well. Todd, it's a pleasure. Thanks for doing this on short notice, and we'll talk to you soon, sir. Thanks, Alex. Take care. Again, big thanks go out to Todd DeFreeze, right here at footballnation.com, also collegefootballgeek.com, and a number of other outlets for joining me on the program today and helping us tackle some of those bigger issues that we've talked about over the past number of weeks. But here in the second down segment, looking at some of the bigger off-field stories of the past week, and the biggest one this week is a new rule change, really a series of rule changes, but it's all a similar, all under a similar umbrella that the NFL is looking to institute to help aid player safety next season. And Bill Polian, now of ESPN, has floated this around, and he actually said that the competition committee has looked at this for the past couple of years, but... It came out this week, the NFL is trying to implement rule changes to make the game safer, and one of them is widening the field, like the CFL's field in Canada. The Canadian field is 195 feet wide, compared to the NFL field, which is 160 feet wide. 
The CFL field is also 30 yards longer than the NFL field. And the bigger field has resulted in far less collisions in the Canadian game than here in the American game. Now, if this massive rule change is implemented, and I'm calling it a rule change, but it's not really a rule change. It's more of an overhaul, right? If this kind of overhaul is implemented, I think it would be too much for defenses to handle. Of course, it would greatly help in terms of player safety and all the concerns there. Bigger field, far less chance for dramatic, violent collisions. But this would be too much for defenses to handle. If they widen the field to the Canadian size, 195 feet wide, the NFL field is also 30 yards longer. If they really opened up play like this, it would be downright impossible, impossible to stop some of the spread offenses in this league now. I mean, just look at the Patriots. I mean, can you imagine giving a guy like Tom Brady a significantly wider field? I mean, a, a, a field that's 35 feet wider, to be exact. Can you imagine giving a quarterback like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees or Peyton Manning? Can you imagine giving those guys that kind of room to operate with? My goodness, defenses would have zero shot. A team like the Ravens in the AFC Championship game was able to clog the middle of the field against the Patriots, play physically against the receivers up at the line. Now, they'd have no chance of clogging anything. There would always be somewhere to go for a quarterback like Brady who has the arm and accuracy that he does, who throws the ball as precisely as he does, there would always be a place for him to go. There just aren't enough guys on defense to cover that amount of field. Or, God, can you imagine trying to stop a Colin Kaepernick or a Robert Griffin III, one of these mobile outside-the-pocket quarterbacks? Can you imagine trying to stop one of those guys with a field that's 35 feet wider? My goodness, no chance! So, the bottom line is, if this rule change is implemented... I really think it would be impossible for defenses to stop a lot of the offenses in this league. And I think it's just too much for the defenses to take. They could only take so much, and they've taken a lot. And they've shown that in January, when the rules loosen up a bit, they can still get the job done. Defense still matters in the playoffs, which I like. I like that a lot. But if this overhaul is implemented, and I still think it's a bit of a far shot, just, and I still think it's, it's not very likely, because of how dramatic an overhaul, how dramatic a rule change it is, defenses wouldn't be able to bear it. They wouldn't. And I understand the NFL's thought process here, always thinking in terms of player safety, and you can question their motives, but ultimately it's a good thing. You want to make the game as safe as possible for the players who play it. But, and we talked about this in previous weeks, I'm not sure how much more radically they can alter the game. It comes down to a couple of things. The biggest thing is, Players need to change the way they tackle. You know, the days of leading with your helmet are gone. Long gone. So defensive players, safeties, linebackers, these guys need to recognize that. Coaches, defensive coaches need to recognize this and teach their players from day one in many camps and all throughout training camp to not lead with your helmet. Don't lead with your helmet. Don't hit the quarterback anywhere from the belly button up. You know, don't do it. Don't do it. Tackle low. Hit low. Wrap them up. Don't lead with your helmet. Don't go for the head. Don't go anything from the belly button or stomach up. Don't do it. Chest should be the highest you should aim to hit a guy. Just don't take any more chances. 
Defenses have to alter the way they play. Coaches have to alter the way they coach. Players have to alter the way they tackle. It's as simple as that. The game is, a go the game is never going back to where it was even five years ago. Never again will a defensive player, especially in the regular season, be able to get away with a hit to the head. Never again will safety be able to fly over the middle of the field and leave with his helmet and knock a guy out right there in the 50-yard line. It will never happen again. And I think to a lot of and I think that's a good thing to a lot of to a very large extent. So one of the biggest things is players need to change the way they tackle. No more leading with the helmet. No more hitting the head. None of that. It's gone. Change the way you play. Change the way you coach. And we talked about this two weeks ago when Raven safety Bernard Pollard said the NFL won't be around in 30 years due to all the rule changes and concussions. I said the only way the league really survives this, survives the latest lawsuit with the former players, survives all the negative PR, the only way that the, the, you know, the emerging science that continues to link football with concussions, this is inevitably, in my mind, leading towards the NFL becoming a waiver sport, like mixed martial arts, you know, like UFC. They have all their combatants sign a waiver. And that's the way the NFL is going to have to operate. That's eventually. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But down the line, that's where this has to head. Because you're seeing it right here. They're running out of things to do. They're running out of rules to change. To make it a safer game. Football, intrinsically, is an unsafe game. To an extent. And the league has done a lot to clean it up. There's not much more they can do. I mean, this, this change, making the field like the Canadian field... It would be impossible to stop a lot of offenses. Impossible. Defenses just wouldn't be able to cover that much ground. Wouldn't be able to do it. Don't have the manpower to do it. I don't think the league can go into this direction. I don't think they will go into this direction. This is a sign to me that they've pretty much done all they can on the competition committee to make this as safe a game as humanly possible. The next step is the NFL becomes a waiver sport. It's not going to happen tomorrow. May not happen until the lawsuit is over. But within the next decade, mark my words, this league will become a waiver sport. The other note I want to talk about today in the second down segment is the Super Bowl blackout. Came out this week. It was caused by an electrical relay down there at the Superdome. So yes, if you read further into the story, a device installed specifically to avoid a power failure in the Superdome actually caused the power failure. And... <laughs> A real twist of irony. Um, but that's just another sign, you know. And I don't like to talk politics on the show for obvious reasons. It's a football show, not a political show. But I don't think this is a political issue. This is just another sign that tells us we are a first world country with a third world infrastructure. I mean, how embarrassing. You know, there are conspiracy theorists out there who think Roger Goodell and the NFL pulled the plug on the Superdome because they wanted the 49ers to get back into that game, which is absurd. Right, Because the NFL looked ridiculous two weeks ago when this happened on the grandest stage of all. Our country looked ridiculous when this happened on the grandest stage of all. This is the biggest event, the biggest sporting event we put on all year, the Super Bowl. And we don't have the infrastructure to guarantee that the power won't go out for 36 minutes or however long it was out two weeks ago at the Superdome. I mean, come on. Look at China. Would have this happened in China? Beijing opening ceremony? Would the power have gone out there? No chance. Now it's because, you know, whoever was responsible would probably have his or her head chopped off, but still. 
This wouldn't happen in China. This wouldn't happen anywhere else. Any other first world country, I should say. The biggest sporting event of the year, and the power goes out for 36 minutes. And here in Massachusetts, people lost power during this past, during this past blizzard for days. Some communities in Massachusetts still don't have its, their power back. Our power lines can't stand up to weather in 2013. I mean, can you believe that? Here we are, 2013, we can do everything, but yet we can't make our power lines uh, able to stand up to wind and snow. <laughs> I mean, come on. I understand there's cost that goes into it, why you can't put all the power lines underground, but why aren't more power lines underground? Every severe weather storm across this country, lights are knocked out in whole communities, not just for days, but for weeks in a lot of cases. It's ridiculous. To continue on the infrastructure point, you look at getting to some of these football games, the lack of a public transportation system in this country, a credible one, a widespread one like they have in Europe. Go to Patriots games in Foxborough. It takes you hours to get down Route 1. Hours. Game starts at 1 o'clock. You have to leave your house at 7 if you live in the Boston suburbs. It's ridiculous. And it's driving attendance to be down in a lot of places. It's too hard to get to these games. It's because we don't have a reliable, a credible public transportation system in a lot of areas in this country. We don't have it, especially yet to the suburbs where a lot of these NFL stadiums are. Very few NFL stadiums are in the center of cities. Most of them are out in the suburbs, and you can't get there, or at least reliably so, by public transportation in most areas. Imagine if there was a shuttle, right, from Boston to Foxborough, a high-speed shuttle. Get to Foxborough in half an hour, even less. Whoa, change, life-changing. I mean, now, if you gave me a chance to go to a Patriots game, depending on the weather, I'd maybe take a pass. Why don't we need to go sit in traffic for three, four hours to watch a game live when I could sit, on, sit, sit at my house, watch it on my beautiful TV, keep track of my fantasy team, have the Red Zone channel, be inside where there's heat, and then not have to wait four hours after the game to get out of the parking lot? I mean, why would I do that? I understand there are other things, such as, you know, the in-game experience that infrastructure has nothing to do with, but still, getting there is a problem in a lot of places. And I think that affects attendance in some markets as well, especially that aren't uh, fo uh, rabid football markets like we are here in New England. So I'd even extend it there and say if our infrastructure improves, the NFL Live experience improves because it's easier to get to these games. It's a long way for me saying we're a first-world country, with a third world infrastructure, and it's affecting your football. It affected it at the Super Bowl two weeks ago, though, maybe for the better because we got a better game out of it, but still, 36 minutes of no power at the Super Bowl. No excuses, absolutely none. Now, the NFL, this came out this week as well, is toying with the idea of a Saturday Super Bowl next year. Or delaying the big game for several days if a blizzard strikes the Meadowlands, which is possible because it does snow in the Northeast even into February, as we saw last weekend. This is just another reason as to why this could be a bad idea, putting the Super Bowl in the Meadowlands in the Big Apple. So the weather sucks there on the first weekend in February. More times than not, it does. 
put the Super Bowl in a sunny, tropical place where everyone for the week leading up to it can party up, go to the beach, not worry about bundling up because of the snow. It's a bad idea, man. As I've said for the past few weeks, every other year, New Orleans, Miami, alternate between the two cities, call it a day. Super Bowl doesn't need to be in Manhattan. I don't need to see that. And the weather, it's going to be a problem. Going to be a problem. Has to be a problem at some point during the week. Because the weather sucks there. You don't have things outdoors in New York in February. You just don't because of the weather. <laughs> the NFL is asking for trouble. They're putting themselves at risk. And this past weekend's blizzard was just a reminder of that. I mean, imagine how much of a bleep show it would be if the league had to push back the Super Bowl for a couple of days. I mean, my God. Just avoid it at all costs. Keep the Super Bowl down south in sunny, tropical places where it belongs. Stop being too cute. Putting the Super Bowl in New York is being too cute. It is now time for the third down segment. Very simple. I say a statement and then express my agreement or disagreeing with that statement by saying big up or slow down. Topic number one. Michael Vick will remain with the Eagles. As he reworked his contract this week, Vic could make up to $10 million this season with incentives, but is guaranteed only $3.5 million this season for bookkeeping purposes. This replaces his $100 million contract. Pick up or slow down. This is a good move for the Eagles to rework Vic's contract and get him at least in training camp for next season. I say, after a lot of deliberation, big up. Ultimately, I can't see how the Eagles lose here. It's the classic low-risk, high-reward signing. If Vic doesn't get it done in training camp, you can cut him, only pay him the $3.5 million, and be done with it. Doesn't really hurt you on the cap, doesn't hurt you financially, and you get Vic in training camp. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, oh well, no real loss. Because, yeah, Vic is not a guarantee. He's 33 years old and hasn't played a full season since 2006. Oh, by the way. I know, a few years, few years in between were spit in prison, but still. 33, hasn't played a full season since 06, was hit quite a lot last year behind that weak Philadelphia offensive line. But if Michael Vick is healthy, if he's healthy, he's a perfect candidate to run Chip Kelly's offense in the NFL. Now, this doesn't prohibit the Eagles from drafting a quarterback or letting Nick Foles compete with Vic in training camp and continuing to let Foles develop. This does not guarantee Vic the Eagles quarterback job for 16 games next season. All this does, from my perspective, is it gives the Eagles more options. And I like that. You always want to have more options on the table. Because I don't see a great quarterback out there in free agency right now. Alex Smith and Matt Flynn may be the top two options in terms of available quarterbacks this offseason. And when Mike Vick is healthy, or even 90% healthy, he's better than both of those guys. His ceiling is higher than those guys, especially in a system you would imagine Chip Kelly would look to run in the NFL. This move doesn't guarantee anything for Mike Vick and the Eagles. It doesn't. It's so low risk. But it does guarantee that the Eagles will have more options at training camp at quarterback. And I don't see how more options is a bad thing. So, given the nature of this deal, big up. It's a good thing. And Mike Vick will have something to prove again. And we know how well he played last time he had something to prove. In 2010, he played spectacularly and led the Eagles to the playoffs. Now, topic number two. Percy Harvin wants a trade for Minnesota. Reigning NFL MVP Adrian Peterson says he wouldn't trade Harvin for nothing. 
Big up or slow down is all day AP right. This is another tough one. But I say slow down. Peterson isn't right here. I would trade Harden. I would trade Harvin. Excuse me. When Harvin went down last season and never returned, the Vikings were in third place. They finished 10-6, and six, winning their last five games without him. It sounds silly. And we're going through the same thing here in Boston with the Celtics without their star point guard, Rajon Rondo. How can you take a player the caliber of Harvin off a team and have, and have the team play better? How does that work? They're less talented. How can they be better? Well, sometimes in team sports, it just works that way. This is where intangibles do matter. Bill Simmons comes up with the Ewing theory, which has said the Knicks actually played better when Patrick Ewing was off the floor than he was on the floor when he was in New York, even though Ewing was one of the best centers in the history of the league. And with the Vikings, they may have had their own Harvin theory last season. They finished 10-6 and six without him and winning their final five games without him to get into the playoffs as a wild card. I mean, there was a controversy about his ankle injury last season, which mysteriously never got better. Harvin has a tenuous contract situation. He may hold out in training camp. And if he stays in Minnesota, it's almost a guarantee he'll hold out and want Deshaun Jackson tight mega deal. And is this the kind of guy you want to invest long term in? I say no. I understand how dynamic a player he can be. You know, he, he's a football coach's wet dream, especially in today's NFL climate. He can go deep down the field. He can play halfback for you. He can go over the middle. You know, he can take a sweep. Do all sorts of cool things with him. Oh, offensive coordinators love this guy, and rightfully so. His talent is that good. And besides last season, durability hasn't been a problem for him. He's played 15, 14, and 16 games in his three seasons prior to last year. So, I understand the allure to Percy Harvin. Which is why I say, even with this current contract situation, with it still being unresolved, he still has a lot of value out there. You know, and if you put Percy Harvin to a team with a real good quarterback, you have Percy Harvin to a team with a top 10 type quarterback, I think him, he and his agent may sit down, know the value of it, and they may say, look, I mean, nobody's been throwing you the ball the past three years in Minnesota. You're on a team with a real quarterback who will throw you the ball. Your numbers will skyrocket. Don't hold out. Go to the full training camp, play out the season, and then cash in in 2014. If Harvard gets traded to a team with a real quarterback, I think that's what he and his agent will decide to do. I really do. But if Harvin has to stay in Minnesota, he's going to hold out, and he's going to be a big problem. If you're the Vikings right now, you don't need that. Cut bait. Get a top draft pick. Get a second-round pick, a third-round pick. Get something of real value for Harvin and call it a day. Then go out with your safe money. Sign a veteran receiver like Greg Jennings. Draft some guys. Develop them with Christian Ponder, who I think is still your guy. There's a lot of pluses to Percy Harvin's game, but as the Vikings showed last season, they can survive without him. Trade him. Get a second or third on pick for him. Sign a veteran like Greg Jennings, who if I were the Vikings, would be my number one priority this offseason. Draft some wide receivers. Get some more depth there. And go to war with what you have. Percy Harvin could be the right fit in the right situation. But I think he's shown over the past 12 months the right situation for him is not Minnesota. Final one. And this is a personal favorite of mine. The Cowboys would like to sign Tony Romo to a long-term contract extension. Jerry Jones has compared Romo to Troy Aikman, saying we got to lock this guy up long-term. <laughs> Sorry, Cowboys fans. My God. Big up or slow down. Is Romo deserving of a long-term extension? Absolutely slow down here. Big time slow down. Now, some will tell you Romo is in the last year of his contract and is scheduled to earn a base salary next season of $11.5 million. 
and would count close to $17 million against the cap. Wow, massive cap hit. So if you sign Roma to the long-term contract extension, you lower his cap number, which will help get the Cowboys under the cap, as are currently $20 million over the salary cap. So that's what some will say. Got to sign Roma long-term because you got to make it work with the cap. I say bull. Absolute bull. You can make the cap work without signing Tony Romo to a long-term deal. You can say goodbye to free agents such as Anthony Spencer and Marcus Spears. And Spencer's a nice player. But keeping Spencer isn't worth signing Romo long-term. It just isn't. And then get creative with their current contracts. It happens all the time. Restructure the deals of DeMarcus Ware, Brandon Carr, hell, even Miles Austin. If you want to make it work without signing Romo to a long-term extension, you can make the cap work. You don't need to lock in Tony Romo for the next five, six, seven years to get under the salary cap for the 2013 season. You just don't. You can make it work in other ways. Because you have to let Romo earn the extension. Just like the Ravens let Joe Flacco earn his extension last season, and they won the Super Bowl. Because Tony Romo, at 33, hasn't proven he's the guy to go forward with. He's 17-21 and 21 since 2010 as a starter. Was tied for the league lead in interceptions last season. We know about his three-interception game against Washington in Week 17 this season. We know about his putrid December track record. We know about his putrid postseason track record. Only one career playoff win. What is Tony Romo at 33, which is no small point, at 33, his best years may even be behind him, as strange as that is to think about. What has Tony Romo shown you to indicate he is the guy to take the Cowboys forward? He is the guy to take the Cowboys to the next level. He's shown me diddly-poo, nothing. It's not all about the quarterback, but it's a lot about the quarterback. And you can't lock in Romo until you're sure he's the guy going forward. And has Tony Romo given you any indication, Cowboys fans, that he's the guy going forward for your team? Absolutely not. Fourth down, closing up the show with the Reamer rant. It's Todd DeFries and I were saying in the first down segment. February is the doldrums of the sporting world. But for all you dorks out there, the Combine begins next week. Woohoo! Watching guys run and lift and tied Under Armour spandex. How exciting. I don't mean to demean it like that. I mean, Todd called it the underwear show in our interview. And it was a pretty damn good line. But these guys have great bodies. I mean, hey, come on. I don't care which way you... I don't care which side of the plate you hit on. I don't care which team you play for. You got to admire the bodies on some of these guys. The pecs, the abs, eight packs. Not just six pack, eight packs on some of them. The asses, asses of steel, the thighs, which I pointed out with Todd. Oh, I understand the allure to it from that perspective. The physiques these guys have, unreal, Herculean. What kind of deer antler spray they're taking. But seriously, unreal, the physiques on some of these dudes. But the actual combine itself, meh. it's watching guys run and lift weights. I mean, just go to your local gym if you want to see that. We need to sit down and watch it for hours on the NFL Network. And yeah, not many people will publicly admit they like to watch the Combine, but eh, the ratings don't lie. If this thing didn't draw on the ratings, the NFL Network wouldn't air unfiltered coverage of it for days. 
they put on the best of the NFL show, whatever they do this time of year. And this just speaks to the power of the football. It does. I mean, the fact that this event is so popular just speaks to the sheer popularity of the league as a whole right now. But I will not be participating in this dork fest. I'm not a huge college football guy to begin with. So why would I be a huge combine guy? It doesn't excite me. I don't care. It's Watching guys run and lift. Show me their game tape, as Todd said. That's how you determine who's a good player or not a good player. This is just, this is just silly. It's a big dork fest. It's guys to get their binders out, clocks out, record the 40 times. Ugh, could do without it. Thank you very much. I'm not a big college football guy, as I said. Because my thinking is, I already spent all Sunday on my ass watching football. I you know, spent all Saturday watching football, too. What, what do you want me to do? Turn into a... I mean, I mean, I mean, what do you, you want to do? Turn into a uh, turn into a shut-in, and I already am that to an extent. I'm a shut-in on Sundays. Turn uh, shut-in on Saturday too. Come on. So I'm definitely not going to spend any time sitting on my couch or in my dorm room in my bunk bed watching the combine this week. I'm just not watching guys run the 40. I ran track for a few years in high school. I've done plenty of that. Don't need to see it anymore next week. Although I do again have to say the vods and those dudes legit. Everything else though, yeah, could live without it. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 37 of Football Nation Today, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer. Last week, we had a record 20 comments on the show, so I greatly appreciate that. Greatly appreciate your interest. As always, feel free to leave a comment on the show page on footballnation.com. Also, feel free to send me an email, areamer at bu.edu is my email address, and also follow me on Twitter at AlexReamer1 is my Twitter name. Again, thanks go out to Todd DeFreeze, our guest this week. So long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday. We'll talk about everything under the sun that is NFL-related except the Combine. Stay tuned. Talk to you next Wednesday.